Well, we're going to start to worship God. And uh, just as we do, I, w- I just want to put a context. You know, it, we're, we're told to pray like this. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the other verse that ties into that is from Revelations. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And one of the things that that means to me is this, is that the sum total of all of our desire, when it speaks, it says, come to the earth, O God. Come to the earth. Not, I want to go to heaven. Not, I want to escape my tribulation. But God, you come to the earth. Because God's plan is to change earth and to make earth like heaven. And so the avenues that God uses for that in our ministry The manifestation of the kingdom of God is the manifestation of that rule. And it's a manifestation of God's influence increasing on the earth. And no more clearly is that displayed than in worship. When we worship God, it is a direct manifestation of his authority over us. And that's why it says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Because that's the, that's the end goal. That's the last stage of everything. Is when not only us who see who he is and respond to his goodness are bowing our knee and thereby manifesting his rule on earth. But the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. So tonight, as we worship, we are saying, come, Lord Jesus. We, the church, the spirit, and the bride, say, come. We pray according to the pattern that your father, your son gave us, Jesus, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This is our faith, God, today, that your presence is coming down to the earth in increasing measures in increasing intensities. And we expect, we anticipate that as we open our mouths and give you the glory that's due your name, your presence will rush to fill the space that is created by that worship. So we say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. On the way over here earlier, Mark and I were talking and he felt like uh, this is, there needs to be a joyful noise to the king. And one of the things that uh, we don't live under a monarchy, but one of the requirements of people is that when the king enters in, you celebrate him. Now, maybe human kings don't deserve that kind of reverence, but he certainly does. And there is a profound spiritual principle in us subjugating our our attention to anything else when he is in the room, subjugating our preferences in terms of what we feel like, whether we feel like being happy. You know, he, there's another scripture that says uh, that you must be glad in the presence of the Lord or you make him angry. And so as he's saying, hail to the king, I'm wondering if we can make a joyful noise And it's especially more significant if you don't feel like it, because it's unto him. It is the sacrifice of praise. Let's just uh, 
maintain this focus of worship on the Lord. But in the midst of this, I just want to give you a, a mini message about this day, this hour, this moment. All of you know the story of the first miracle Jesus did, turning the water into wine. And you know that when he told the servants to fill the stone pot, uh, jars up with water, that they filled them to the brim with water, they dipped their pitches in, and then they carried those pitchers to the steward. And somewhere but in the journey between dipping their pitchers in, it was still water, and getting to the steward of the wedding, that transition, that miracle took place. And the steward tasted it, and he called the bridegroom, and he said, most people serve the good wine first, but you have saved the best for... Actually, that's not what he said. I know that's how most translations read it, that he saved, you have saved the best for last. But in the original language, actually what he said was, you have saved the best for now. And I know it's a, a subtle distinction, but it's a very important distinction because especially in our Western world culture, we're constantly working for the future. We're going to school to do a degree in the future for a future job, or you're working to get a paycheck in the future, or you're working to have a pension or retirement or vacation, or you can buy this or that. And even when it comes to church life and the kingdom, we're constantly thinking, this is for the future. And we know that when the Lord returns or we go to heaven, whichever comes first, we know that what we're going through right now, it is not compared to what's to come. But I feel like there's a message in that first miracle Jesus did that God is looking for a now people, that today is the day of the Lord. And I want to tell you, there's so many churches constantly praying, Lord, would you bring revival? Well, what about us becoming the revival? What about us quit waiting for God to do the big bang thing in the future and right now in our heart of hearts saying, now, today is the day that the Lord has created. Today, I will celebrate God. Today, I will press in. And I feel like the Lord wants to challenge us in worship that there's something deeper He wants us to enter into, to draw near on a deeper level, and not wait for the speaker, not wait for the ministry time, not wait for the Big Bang. But right now, let's take a few more minutes. Let's press in. Let's press in. Let's make this a now moment. Just as we're beginning this song, God is never going to be greater than he is right now in this moment. Your sense of victory goes up and down. Your sense of accomplishment that you've entered or not entered. And so much of our lives revolve around that plane. But God is saying, by faith, come up higher. Come up higher. Attach, attach yourself to my reality is what the Lord is saying. Attach yourself in your heart, in your faith. To my continuous existence, my continuous goodness, my steadfast love. This is who I am. Yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, this is your strength. This is your joy. This is your victory. Not when things change. 
But when you attach yourself to that realm that is continuous. So, Father, we say you are the king. You are the king. There's the story in Luke that when Jesus was passing through the city of Jericho, that everybody was flocking to the streets. Everybody wanted a glimpse of Jesus. But there was a man there, and most of you know the story, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, he had three strikes against him. He was a tax collector, and the people hated the tax collectors because they informed to the Roman oppressors how much money everybody was making. But on top of that, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, meaning he had gotten wealthy off the oppression of his own people. But on top of that, it says Zacchaeus was short. And he was desperate to just get a glimpse of Jesus. But because of the crowd, he couldn't see Jesus. And I can imagine people giving Zacchaeus the elbow, pushing him out of here, saying, Zacchaeus, get out of here. But Zacchaeus would not be stopped. And he ran down the road till he found that sycamore tree. And he climbed up the tree. He was just desperate for a glimpse of Jesus. And when Jesus passed by, he didn't miss a beat. He just looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your house today. And maybe you're here and maybe spiritually or emotionally or for whatever reason, you feel short. Maybe like Zacchaeus, you feel like an outsider that everybody else is getting a glimpse of the Lord, but you can't see him. And I don't know how much longer we're going to go in worship, however long the Lord wants, but I want to challenge you. Do something like Zacchaeus did. Find yourself, if you're having a trouble glimpsing the glory of the Lord, find yourself a sycamore tree right now. Climb up that thing. You know, the, it's called the postmodern definition of insanity, what Einstein said a long time ago when he said the height of stupidity is to do the same thing you've always done, the same way you've always done it, but somehow expect a different result. Put your hunger on display as we continue on a bit in worship. Find yourself a sycamore tree. For you, maybe that means lifting your hands if that's not used to you, uh, normal for you, or kneeling down, or coming to the front, or I don't know, maybe you can jump up to that uh, rail up there and swing off that. I don't know. But move out of your own comfort zone if you know there's more that God has for you, and you're just desperate to glimpse Him tonight. I believe we stand at a spiritual crossroads. And that God is redefining worship. He is recentering worship on Him. And tonight He's giving us a taste of what it is He desires because the presence of God sat back tonight. Because worship, worship it is an experience He should receive. Worship is something that is unto Him. And we've taken that consumer mentality and we've brought it into the church. And we've approached the ministry teams and the worship teams as though, you know, provide me with a moment. Provide me with a spectacular touch. And yet the Word of God says, God will be found by you when when you seek Him with all your heart. And what God is trying to do is to get us to seek Him with all of our hearts.
And there's this deep, I can feel it, this deep, deep desire in the heart of God to meet with his people. But he's wanting to give less and less tokens of his presence. Less and less stimulation. Less and less emotional excitement. He's saying, seek me with all your heart. Just as a matter of course. Just out of, out of, as a matter of desire. God, we long for the deep that calls to deep. See, there's an atmosphere in this room, but it's clean. It's so clean. It's bypassing your normal senses, your normal emotions. But it's full of power. It's full of power. It's full of power. We say, Holy Spirit, Release your power. Do what you want to do. Release your power. Father, we pray that our faith would please you. In Jesus' name. Let me just, uh, as we start to shift, reiterate that passage. Because I know there are people here tonight, you need something from God. And uh, I know that there are some that are in desperate need of God. A desperate touch tonight. And there's a wisdom to what God is doing in your life. I see him. He's, he's like taking a step back. And as you lunge from him, he's taking another step back. And he's taking another step back because he's bringing you into his world. And your pursuit of him, as it gets harder to find him... It means he's going into a deeper place in his world where the glory is, where the power is. And we can be assured of this promise that when we seek him with all of our heart, and that's what it takes, he's bringing online a little more and a little more and a little more of your heart. And when you worshipped him with 10% of your heart as a young Christian, he met you. But then he said, I want 15%. And so he waited, and it was harder. And you wondered, where did God go? But he was drawing more out of you. But he says, listen, when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And we say today, you are not a God that you should lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. 
But you, you are faithful, God. So, Lord, we bless the work that you're doing in our hearts. We bless the divine strategy that you are creating a generation who, when you say, seek my face, our wholehearted response will be your face, Lord, I will seek. Thank you, Lord. Well, I don't want to say too much because Mark's got lots to say. But uh, I want you to put your doubt, put your frustration, put your, you know, hope deferred on the, on the shelf tonight. Can you do that? Do you understand what I mean? And expect because now's the moment. I believe that I could have new moments in God every day and none, never run out of new moments to have. And it's not because he is forbidding me to have new moments. It's always to whosoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So, Father, thank you for what you're doing. All right. Mark, why don't you come? Have your liberty. You welcome him, please. Everybody alive? If you're dead, raise a hand and we'll pray for you first during the ministry time. It's always interesting when dead people raise arms and legs and things like that. I want to uh, uh, try to give you uh, shortly and succinctly, briefly, a prophetic word for you as a church. And I don't know, somebody may have given you this word, or maybe you've had it for yourself for the years, I don't know. But uh, it'll be better when you hear it now. Uh, I was uh, uh, in praying about uh, this time being with you. Uh, I felt I felt a real expectation this can be a time of breakthrough, but a, a breakthrough unto what? Um, God is so intentional in his craftsmanship, his artistry. Uh, I love what it says in Psalm 139 that David said, Even when I was in my mother's womb, the hand of God was upon me. Fearfully and wonderfully did he create me. And that's true of every single human being. God is not a cookie-cutter uh, chef, he's not a paint-by-numbers artist with each one of us with great uniqueness. He created us in his image. And if you get too unique, we have counseling to help you out. That's just a, a given. But not only each individual, but each family, each church, like the tribes of Israel that all had unique God-given characteristics and unique strengths, that's true of churches as well. And this church, and I suspect several other churches in this, uh, I realize you're all, you know, Spruce Grove and all of that, but uh, I'm more focused, I think, this weekend on the greater Edmonton area. I believe that there's a very strong call upon you all to be a gateway, uh, not just for Alberta and Canada, but even beyond that. And I want to talk about gateways tonight. Everybody gets all excited when you hear about uh, being a gateway church or a gateway ministry, but as soon as you hear the price, oh, well, that price wasn't quite what we had in mind. But anyway, it's the will of God for you, so you're stuck with it. Revelation 21.10, John writes that God, the angel of the Lord, carried him away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. 
And he said there were 12 gates, and the 12 gates were, were 12 pearls, obviously huge pearls. And each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the, st- the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And that sounds very beautiful, it sounds very majestic, but there's just one problem. And many of you know this already. Do you know how pearls are created? An irritant gets inside of an oyster. And what happens over a long period of time, the oyster, to deal with this irritant, secretes a a liquid that begins covering it up. And that's how pearls are created, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's interesting that uh, oftentimes people think, well, that irritant is a grain of sand, but usually it's actually a parasite, not a grain of sand, a parasite that gets inside that oyster, and it's a defense mechanism to cover it up. And a parasite is something from the inside, eats away at us. And there's all sorts of external problems we have, but the internal things, and I appreciated Mark's comment just a few moments ago that sometimes we need to take our hope deferred, you know, our frustration with why have we been praying and praying and waiting and waiting on the Lord to do something, and still it's not answered yet. But that's really the heart of worship, isn't it? Often up the sacrifice of praise, taking our eyes off of ourselves and worshiping God, not necessarily because he's what he's going to do for us at any given moment, but simply because of who he is. I've been meditating for about a week or so on the psalm where David said, the Lord is my salvation, and then he said, he is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And that sounds a little bit, you know, contradictory. He is my salvation, but he's become my salvation. But the reality is, in the economy of God, God has always seen himself as our father, our savior, our best friend. But in the coming of Yeshua, Jesus, that salvation was realized. And that's actually what salvation means in the Hebrew, Yeshua, where we get the name Jesus. God has become our salvation. But it's this dualistic thing, much like today, if you've heard some healthy teaching on the kingdom of God, you've probably heard this phrase, that the kingdom of God is the now, but it's also the not yet. Meaning when Jesus came, the kingdom of God was released, but we don't see the fullness of the kingdom. That will only come about when Jesus returns. But at the same time, the kingdom of God is within reach. The kingdom of God is within us, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so when healings, deliverances, I'm not just talking about physical healings, but when we're brought into a greater health of the peace, the joy of the Father's love, as we see God breaking strongholds of poverty and poverty thinking and all of that, we're experiencing the goodness of the kingdom. And so we experience the kingdom of God, but yet there's also suffering in this realm, isn't there? Three people, I think, said yes on that. They didn't even say amen, because no one wants to say amen. But, but uh, this is how gateways in the kingdom of God get developed, by going the distance despite the irritants. And it's interesting that that fluid that's used to coat the irritant, layer upon layer, that produces the pearl, it's pronounced nakar, and it's described in a technical way that it's strong, resilient, and iridescent. And iridescent is kind of one of those words, it's a little bit like covenant. Oh yeah, but but what does it actually mean? I had to look it up. The word iridescent means showing luminous colors 
that seem to change when seen from different angles. It's, when you look at it in one light, from one perspective, it looks one way, but you see it from a different light, a different perspective, it shines differently. You know what that smacks of? It smacks of the multicolored tunic that Joseph had. You're called to be a Joseph people. You're called to be a people that you reflect the light of God's glory, because that's what we're created for. But how you end up being a Joseph from the time the call comes to the time of the fulfillment of that, it's a bit of a journey with a whole lot of irritation. Hello. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came tonight? What an encouraging word so far. Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It doesn't just say when we're on the top of our game, when we're not having any problems, when we're excited about the journey, but always, Paul said, again, I say rejoice. James went even further. He said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials and challenges. So does that mean that, you know, if you or a family member has a young son or daughter and all of a sudden they're in a car accident, they're diagnosed with a disease, that you say, praise God? No, you're not praising God for that disease or car accident, but you're praising God because he's bigger than the problem. And in the economy of God... And I so much appreciated what Mark said about, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes into worship tonight. But he made the statement, God is never going to be more powerful or real than he is right now. The problem is the lenses of our hearts are not always adjusted to really see him. In fact, they won't be completely adjusted on this side of heaven. But we get glimpses, and from time to time, not just when you experience a vision of the throne room or you sense the nearness of God... But from time to time, we get to see God in one another. Paul talked about we see through this mirror dimly. But as we see what God is doing, we see the grace of God. But the fullness of him is to come, but yet the glory is here right now. And so God, as I said uh, at the beginning of worship, he's looking for a now people. And I do think it's so significant that that first miracle Jesus did in all the Gospels, of uh, the first ministry of miracle of his ministry, it was a miracle of transformation, taking things from one state and putting it into an entirely different state. But secondly, what the steward said, that you have, uh, most people serve the good wine first, but you have saved the best for now. Because so often we're thinking, well, as soon as I achieve this, then life is going to get good. Or as soon as I have this breakthrough, then life will get better. Or as soon as I have this amount of money, or as soon as, you know, and especially in the Western world nations, unlike a lot of the developing world that is very much in contrast to us focused on right now, we're constantly working, projecting, thinking about the future. But you know what? In this realm, there is only one day of the Lord, and that is today. Obviously, when you get to tomorrow, it'll be the day of the Lord. But when you get to tomorrow, you can't step back and take the opportunities that God has for you today. If we're not going to be a breakthrough people here and now and you, who will be? If not now, when? If not you, who? If not here, 
wear, as the saying goes. That, you know, I, I believe with all my heart in praying for outpourings of the Holy Spirit, for a greater um, uh, revelation of his wonder, a greater release of his power. And in effect, I, I could even say I believe in praying for revival. But I believe that so many churches are guilty of wanting somehow in the future God to come and just wave his magic wand and make anything different, when really there's an onus upon us, there's a weight upon us to become the people of revival. John Wesley was asked, how do you start a revival? And he said, I collect a crowd, I light myself on fire, and I let them watch me burn for God. And I'm not saying you light yourself on fire, but I'm saying that God wants to do a Joseph work within us that we can wear that many-colored tunic, that we can be those iridescent people. And I love what it says, I think, in Psalm 36, that those who look to the Lord will never be ashamed. They shall be radiant with them, because you become like that which you gaze upon. I remember years and years and years ago, I won't say how many years ago, but when I did studied quite a bit of psychology in university, uh, they found something interesting about infants, even two or three, four-day-old infants, that as the mother or father or the caregiver or maybe a nurse in a hospital, as they would stand or hold that baby and look in the eyes of that baby, if they would smile after a period of time, the baby would smile. It's because you emulate that which you gaze upon. In fact, you become like that which you gaze upon which should be a message about not watching too much junk on the Internet or TV, but that's another message. But as we focus the eyes of our heart on the person of Jesus, upon the Father, the, the presence of God, as Paul said, we go from glory to glory, and we're transformed by that glory. A change comes. But it doesn't just happen in events. It go, happens by going the distance. In Psalm 105, starting verse 16, it says that when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, shackles. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what the Lord had said over him came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. This is a strange passage because we think of testing, we think about the devil testing us. But as I shared this morning when we had a couple of sessions, uh, uh, did a mini-seminar on miracles, that a lot of times it is appropriate to rebuke a demon or a spirit of affliction, but sometimes... You can rebuke the demons all you want, or you can rebuke the problem all you want, but in the sovereignty of God, he's allowed certain things to transpire. Because the proof of your faith, as Peter said, is more precious than gold itself. See, anybody, you know, any Christian, I should say, when everything's hunky-dory, when everything's cool, when all the blessings, when you're in a season of wave after wave after blessing— They'll praise God. But what about during a time of testing? What about when the refiner's fire comes? I remember one time in a conference in Toronto, I was speaking about, out of revelation, about uh, God wants to test us with the refiner's fire to purify us as gold. 
And a man uh, came up to me at the end of the meeting, and he said, I actually work in a gold refinery in western Canada. And he said, in the refinery I work in, he said, do you know what the last impurity we remove in gold, what the last process is? I said, I don't have a clue. He said, it's silver. And I thought, this is incredible because silver is a commodity that itself has great value. But when it's found in gold, it's seen, seen as an impurity. And there can be some things that in the culture around us there's such a high value put upon. And even sometimes some things in the church, in a church culture as opposed to a kingdom culture, there can be a high value put upon it. But perhaps in the eyes of God, it's seen as an impurity. And so there's a testing the Lord allows, not because he's against us, but because he's for us. And Joseph, as this young boy, the youngest of many brothers, had this incredible vision of God placing him in a great place of great authority. Now, his problem was he should have kept that vision to himself. <laughs> My, uh, on my mother's side of the family, the Italian side of the family, in San Diego, California, uh, my grandfather in the 1930s had started a seafood business, and it was, when I was growing up, it was a pretty large business. They had about 25 employees right down on the waterfront, and they had a freezer literally bigger than this sanctuary with frozen food, frozen seafood from all over the world, like tiger shrimp from Indonesia, uh, squid from Japan, uh, frozen salmon and things from Norway, just from all over the world. But they also had a, a walk-in cooler. I don't know, about a third the size of this, where we had fresh fish from all over the place, a lot of it flown in. But uh, my grandfather, the Sicilian guy, he had in his office this giant fish. I think it was a marlin or a swordfish. And it was just a beautiful fish, but underneath were the words, and I should say right next to the fish was a giant hook, literally about that big. And underneath were the words, yep, there's another one, if he had only kept his big mouth shut. <laughs> that was kind of my, my grandfather's policy for leading the company, to shut up and do what you're told. It wasn't quite that bad, but he was Sicilian, so there you go. But Joseph's problem was, you know, there's some things like when Mary, when she saw the things happening with the younger boy Jesus, she treasured those in her heart. And when God gives a vision these days, people want to treasure it with their 5,000 best friends on Facebook. And when you treasure something, you keep it safe. You keep it a little bit secret. And when God whispers things to you about your identity, about your future, I'm not saying with those close to you, a home group, or those who met you not to share it, but sometimes you need to treasure that and pray into it. And as God opens up small beginnings, small doors, walk through it and see what the Lord develops. But uh, do you know the story that uh, Joseph, because the way his father treated him, and he was, uh, you know, the baby of the family, and he had that dream, that vision, and he was also had that multicolored tunic given him. Uh, his brothers, you know, they faked his death and they beat him up, threw him in the pit, then sold him to some slave traders. And Joseph spent years living in bondage. And even as he was taken out of that and put in Potiphar's house, and even as he rose, he was still a slave, but rose to a place of prominence. You know, that false accusation got him thrown back in prison. What a huge setback that must have been emotionally for Joseph. But yet, in all of those things, Joseph did not give himself over to bitterness. 
And finally, the time came where that vision was fulfilled in Joseph's life. But keep in mind, as we just read, the word of God, the vision that God had given him, that word itself, not just the circumstances, but the word tested Joseph until it came to pass. In the same way, and again, uh, Mark shared about hope deferred can make the heart sick, that great verse out of Proverbs. I love it when the first time a person comes down with an affliction disease, the first time or a couple of times we pray for that person, they're healed. But, uh, you know, I was sharing a story this morning when we taught on miracles about a woman in Venice Beach, Florida, a few years ago. One night we saw three people get healed up out of wheelchairs. And um, this one lady got healed of a wheelchair. She had been uh, either having to be in a wheelchair or use a walker for 40 years. And how many of you would say that's a very long time? But to complicate things or to mitigate things, I should say, she and her husband were part of a nationwide healing ministry in the United States. And so anytime there was a seminar or conference within a few states away, they would drive to it. They'd pray for people, maybe do some of the teaching. But yet, in all the hundreds, maybe thousands of people she had prayed for, many of whom I would assume were healed of leg, hip, knee problems, she, getting prayer after prayer after prayer for 40 years, was not healed. But then that night, she got 100% healed, and she was up and running and just completely free. And I've, I know because I've been in contact with that church that, you know, she's walking in that freedom today. But uh, there is a reality to when we look at the promises God gives us, whether promises he's given you personally, that he's spoken to you, or having to do with your vision, your future, your your. Um, uh, the, the history he has intended for you, or some of the promises from the Word. Like, uh, you know, we have the promise in Psalm, what is it, Psalm 103, I think it is, that he not only forgives us of all of our afflictions, but he heals, or not only forgives us of all of our iniquities, but he heals us of all of our afflictions. But yet, some of us are still fighting afflictions, and we look at promises like that, and we say, God, your word is true, but when will I experience the reality of this? Joseph was tested, but finally, because of the prophetic way on which God worked in his life, and we're not covering all of that, uh, but Joseph came in to being the second most powerful person in the world at that time. He was given authority over the greatest kingdom at that time, of Egypt, uh, which was Egypt, and only Pharaoh had greater authority. And really, because of the prophetic wisdom that God gave Joseph, he had the destiny of not only Egypt, but over future Israel in his hands. And finally, the time came when his brothers and their families and his father, because everywhere there was his family and people were starving, came to Egypt. And you know the story that they didn't, they didn't recognize Joseph, and, but Joseph recognized him, and he revealed who he was, and his brothers were filled with fear, thinking this man with so much power, he's going to have us uh, arrested, maybe tortured and killed. But you know the story that Joseph forgave them. It says in Genesis 50, verse 20, that Joseph said to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And we think, well, did God 
make that happen? Did God override the will of their brothers to beat him, imprison him, sell him as a slave? No, but God allowed it to happen. Because oftentimes we're actually experiencing evil, but God is allowing it for a greater good to happen. Now, theologically, I would never go so far as to say God has to orchestrate that evil, but uh, God allows this thing called free will in humanity, with, which creates all sorts of problems because we're fallen people. But even of, of Jesus himself, that, uh, you know, the Father allowed him to go through all that he went through so that he could come into that position as Savior and King of kings and Lord of lords. And the fruit is the nations are going to be given to him as an inheritance. But Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And I shared something this morning again when I'm talking about miracles, that for those of you, and I'll say this for those of you tonight, that are going through a real challenging testing that's maybe gone on for months or even years, that it's quite possible that pain, that difficulty, that tension that you're living with, it's only a birth pang of the promotion that's to come. It's only the birth pang of the authority and the fruitfulness that God's about to release you in. Because it wasn't just the people of Egypt that were saved. It was the heads, the future heads of Israel as a nation. In Genesis 26, verse 4, God spoke to Abraham and said, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You know, that never would have come to pass if what happened to Joseph did not happen to Joseph because it was Joseph that kept his family alive through that prophetic wisdom that God used him for in Egypt. And as I've been praying about um, this particular message, I feel like this is actually a word for you as a church, that there's some of you, and maybe in the history of this church, Mark's told me a little bit as we've gotten to know each other the last, uh, I guess we got to know each other and met you in uh, Jerusalem in November. But I know there's been some challenges and, you know, just being typical people, you know, we all go through challenges. But there is a Joseph call upon you as a church to be a gateway, a kingdom gateway, not just for people here in Spruce Grove, but in Edmonton beyond that, and even an impact for the nations. And God is going to give you increasingly this multicolored Joseph tunic. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I mean you should wear, wear bizarre-looking clothes? I don't know if how many of you have ever traveled to Australia, but uh, I've done a lot of ministry in Australia. But about half the pastors in the United States I know who have ministered in Australia, they come back with these really gaudy, ostentatious sweaters that are made. Do you know the ones I'm talking about in Australia? They're woven in Australia. There's a company that's known for them, and they have them in all the airports and tourist locations. And they have a black background, but they have all these bizarre, bright, you know the colors of this? They're just hideous to look at. 
but all these pastors think they're really cool. And I say, oh, you've been to Australia. We see. Yeah, just take that thing and bury it, you know. But when you're standing in different positions, that sweater looks very different. It's probably the closest thing you can uh, look at, uh, you know, that may have been like Joseph's multicolored tunic. But again, this definition of iridescent means showing luminous colors that seem to change when seen from different angles. As a church and different congregations here in Edmonton or Spruce Grove, the region, God is going to increase in you, giving you the ability to reflect Christ to people in different positions. It could be the creative arts community. It could be the business community. It could be the political community. It could be government workers. It could be the academic area, teachers, educators. But God is going to increasingly give you as individuals and you as churches the ability to reflect the grace of Jesus. And you'll be seen with different aspects of Christ by different people according to what their needs are and where they're at in culture. Does that make sense? But unfortunately, the journey to becoming those gateway people, to having that luminous iridescent ability to reflect Christ, it's because of the irritants. The good news is the time does come when the breakthrough happens. The time does come. Unfortunately, it doesn't always take 40 years. And sometimes, because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, like a cat, he sneaks up on you. Uh, one time I was ministering in Europe. My wife was with me, and uh, we were doing a, a conference here, and I gave a word of knowledge. I said, there's uh, somebody here, you're in your late teens, early 20s, it's a guy, and you had some sort of athletic injury that's really messed up uh, your knee, and you're unable to function anymore in your sport, and you're, you're just really messed up, and you've even had an operation, and it hasn't gotten better. And this guy came up of the crowd with crutches. I think he was about 22, 23. He had begun to emerge as, as a professional skier and uh, competitive skier. But about a year before, he did a very bad accident, really messed up his knee, and he had, in fact, had an operation that was not getting better. And he said, well, that's me. He said, I don't even know if I'm ever going to be able to competitively ski again. And so we had him sit in the front pew and uh, put his uh, legs across. My wife and I put hands on his knees and prayed for him. And uh, I wasn't sensing a lot, but I, w- I was sensing the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't, was not manifesting any way whatsoever. But we prayed for him for, I don't know, a couple of minutes. And I said, okay, I want you to get up and try to walk. And uh, he said, well, he said, uh, I really didn't sense anything as you were praying for me. I said, well, that's okay. Sometimes you do sense something, sometimes you don't. But the Lord has given this word. I believe he's working. And he said, well, I, I don't want to embarrass you, you know, because there were several hundred people there in the crowd, and everybody was watching this. I said, well, it won't embarrass me one way or the other. Jesus is the healer, you know. So reluctantly, he got up. And he walked like, you know, from where the tile starts there all the way across here with his crutches. And he's leaning over, walking like this with the crutches. And he gets to the end. And he looks over us uh, and, and, and he says, it's gone. The pain's all gone. And I said, well, why are you limping? He said, I don't know. I've been limping for so long. And he, somebody took the crutches and he walked back and he, he evidently was completely 100% healed. 
But, you know, he had reluctantly come forward for that word of knowledge. It's not that he disbelieved that God healed, but did God really want to heal him right then and there? An even funnier scenario is uh, speaking at a church in Ohio a few years ago, and I gave a very specific word of knowledge about a woman between 45 years of age and 50 that had been born with severe asthma, and uh, she couldn't run or play sports as a child because of her asthma. But when she was about 25, her asthma even got a lot worse. And sometimes once or twice a month, she had to go to the ER, you know, and they had to put on the breathing thing that kind of coats the lungs, you know. And I said the word once, nobody came forward. And I thought, wow, this this was so clear. Uh, So we went on and prayed for the people. About 10 minutes later, the Lord said, give it again. Nobody came forward. About 10 minutes later, the Lord said, give it one more time. And finally, a lady came forward and said, it's me. And she sent this testimony into our website about four months later. And she said, you know, when I first heard that word about a 45-year-old woman who's had that problem as a child, got worse when she was 25 and in and out of the yard, she, she said, I said to myself, isn't it amazing there's somebody else here just like me? <laughs> the thought that God could actually want to heal her Or even if there was somebody else there just like her, why couldn't God do multitasking at the moment, do two for one, you know? So she didn't come forward that first time, and she said, when he said it the second time, I thought, oh, I bet God's angry. I bet that was for me, and I didn't come forward. I said, I bet he's angry at me. But when she heard it the third time, she thought, boy, if he was angry at me early, he's really going to be angry at me now. If I don't go forward, I better get up there. Of course, God wasn't angry at her. And she got 100% completely healed, and she waited four months because to make sure that it was sticking or whatever, but she was completely freed up from it. But there does come a time, and sometimes, as I said, the Lord sneaks up on us. You know, I, I love what Malachi said, the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his people. It seems suddenly because all of a sudden it's one way and then it's another way. But it's part of the fruit of seeking, asking, knocking. But it's so important that we understand that God is, God, is El Elyon, as it says in the Hebrew. He is the Most High God, meaning he's over all the details of your life. That even though uh, Peter had developed the, pro- the sin of spiritual pride and Satan demanded permission to sift him as wheat, He could not do that unless Jesus gave him permission, but even then it was on a limited basis. Satan, the devil, could do nothing to Job unless God allowed it. But I love what it says, that Job's future was greater than the past, than what he lost. And you were called to be a gateway people. And so with whatever irritations you've had, even if they're there right now, Do not despise the Lord's watching over you. He is God most high. He knows the plans he has for you, plans to give you hope and a future, plans to prosper your soul. And his plan for you as a people, and again, if you're here from another congregation, take this for you and your congregation as well. But there's something upon, as I said last night, just as in this area, they're getting oil out of rocks. You're going to be a people that waters, living waters are going to come out of the living rocks. Uh, that There's no problem for God to do that. 
And I was thinking about, you know, this Edmonton Mall. I don't know if it has the same glory that it had back in the 80s, but I remember hearing, you know, even, what was it, 30 years ago about the famous Edmonton Mall that people would come all over the world to buy stuff for, especially coming in the wintertime from other parts of Canada. What else is there to do besides play hockey or go to Tim Hortons, you know? But, uh, you know, just as the goods of the world have been put on display here in Edmonton that people have come up from all over the world to buy, I believe that people from the nations are going to come and get things of the kingdom right here in Edmonton. He's going to put those things on display. That's a call upon you. Mark, 10 people are excited. We're, we're getting somewhere. I finally realized why hockey is the national sport of Canada. You know, I lived in Canada for six years, from 92 to 98, and I've done so much ministry in Canada over the years, but it finally dawned on me why hockey is the national sport. See, as a people, outwardly, you're such a gentle, soft-spoken, polite people. Even when you're irritated, you're still polite. By the way, in America, when people are irritated, we like them to show their irritation, you know. But Canadians are irritated. You know, they're they're still nice and polite. But when you play hockey, the true man (laughs) comes out. You get in fist fights, you smack each other with those sticks, and, you know, your alter ego comes out. You need hockey so the full persona can manifest. (laughs) But uh, anyway, that's, that's something else. That's just my private observation. I won't blame that on God. But I want to read to you in closing before we pray from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In the salvation of God, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I read this passage in closing just to uh, try to uh, impress upon you this one point. Whatever the irritations you've been fighting, could be a health problem, could be relationship issues, could be ongoing financial problems, no fault of your own, could be a million and one things, maybe the promotion that you know you deserve, you haven't received and haven't received, maybe there just seems like uh, the, the vision God has spoken to you, The breakthroughs haven't come and haven't come. Whatever those irritations are, know that in the economy of God, he's allowing it. Because when you end up in that Joseph position of authority, that place of visibility, it's going to be to display the nature of Christ Jesus. Because that's what Joseph did. And even the word Joseph, it's related to the word Yeshua. God is salvation that rather than being a man of vengeance and anger, he demonstrated the very heart of Christ Jesus. He, when he hung on the cross in just absolute agony, gasping for breath, 
raised his body up through his pegs through his feet and gasped out those words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so don't despise either what you've gone through, but especially don't despise the watching over your life by El Elyon, God Most High, because he even knows the number of hairs that are upon your head. He knows your needs even before you ask. And he is absolutely working all things towards the good of those who love him. Amen. Let's stand. Just uh, right where you're at, would you just uh, close your eyes and hold your hands out to the Lord? And I want to lead you in a prayer, if you would pray out loud after me. Father God, despite what I see or what I don't see, I proclaim tonight over my life, over my family, over my church. You are a good, good God. And even though I may be suffering, I agree with King David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, you watch over me with great, great sensitivity. You know the plans you have for me, that I will reflect Christ Jesus. And Father, whatever I need to go through to be a future Joseph, to be a gatekeeper for the kingdom. Lead me and guide me because I want to reflect the amazing light of Jesus. I want to be iridescent. I want to wear that cloak of Joseph's to reflect Jesus to many different people in many different situations. So, Father, tonight, in the name of Jesus, I brag about you. You're a good, good Father. Just keep your eyes and your heart focused on the Lord. One of the incredible truths about Christianity and church is we're called to be a family. We're never called to be lone rangers. We're never called just to carry everything ourselves. And it's like that, I don't know, it's about 20 years old now, but that old song by U2, we get to carry each other. We get to carry each other. And there's some of you that as I've preached this message tonight, you've said, yeah, that's me, and I agree with it, but yet I feel under the weight of what I'm carrying Well, you know what? You're in a good place because there's people here tonight that want to help you. And so this is not to embarrass or belittle anybody. We're all as a family on a learning curve together. But if you're here tonight 
And whether it's a physical problem, a relational problem, could be financial things, could be that you just don't understand why the things you've worked for and the things God has promised you have not yet come to pass. And you say, yes, Mark, I agree with this word, but I just feel so under it. And you need somebody to help carry it. There's going to be an impartation of faith for you tonight. And it's not that somebody's going to carry you, but somebody's going to pray for you. And there's going to be a breakthrough. And so this is not to embarrass anybody, but if you need your load to be lightened tonight, I want you to come to the front right now. Come to the front. Could be a physical problem, relational problem, internal thing, but, it's, but there's a heaviness you've been carrying maybe for decades or maybe for months, whatever it is. Just come up here. Yeah, come all the way. Take a few more steps to the front if you would. Now, here's what I'd like to do. If you're a Christian and one of these people up here is a friend of yours, or especially if you're on the ministry team, I want you to come near and put hands upon people's shoulders or put hands upon people's heads. And uh, don't pray quite yet, but some of you just come up and stand around these folks because we want to make the statement tonight that they are not alone in this journey. They're part of a family, and we get to carry each other. We get to strengthen one another by the grace of God. Those of you who came up for prayer... Just hold your hands out to the Lord. Be in a in body, soul, and spirit in a receiving position right now. Father, for everybody who came up here, I ask for a supernatural impartation right now of the gift of faith, and I speak a release of the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. I bless you in your inner man, your inner woman, for you to know you are not alone, that there's a God who's a good, good father, El Elyon. He's watching over you. He is so aware of your needs. He even knows, <clears throat> he even knows the numbers of hairs that are upon your head. He is watching over you with great intentionality, and he is faithful the good work that he's begun within you, he will complete that for his glory. You will end up with that multicolored tunic of Joseph. You will end up in that place of breakthrough. I just speak an impartation to you of the gift of faith that when you walk out of here tonight, whether you're healed tonight or not, you will know that you know that you know you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus because of the grace of God in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak a release right now of your healing miracle power to come upon pancreases and come upon blood now. In the name of Jesus, I speak a release of healing to blood, uh, whether it's hepatitis or immune problems, pancreatic diabetes, polycythemia, rubavera, or uh, immune problems with blood. I speak restoration. I bless your chemical system. 
to begin to process food perfectly and to send out the perfect nutrition in the name of Jesus. I tell your bone marrow and the platelets to the the number count to be perfect right there. In the name of Jesus, I bless the white and red blood cell count, the insulin levels to become perfect. And I take authority over damaged pancreases, and I bless the pancreases to be healed now in the name of Jesus. I bless pancreases and blood and chemical systems to be renewed and for your blood count to become normal in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, healing to your blood. The life is in the blood, and Jesus shed his blood for you. By his stripes, we're healed in Jesus' name. So uh, we're going to close here right away. Otherwise, bless you. Amen.